Namaste, my friends. Welcome back. Or if you're new here, welcome to the podcast. The Harmony Inspired Health Podcast brings you raw and real conversations from leaders in the industry about all things health, wellness, Ayurveda, and life. My name is Harmony, and I am your podcast host. I am an Ayurveda and integrative health practitioner who specializes in women's hormonal health, a registered nurse, and a business mentor. I'm on a mission to inspire, educate, and empower women to take charge of their health, wealth, and life. Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And if you listen on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating so the wisdom shared in these episodes can be spread far and near. Thank you so much from my soul to yours. Before we hop into this awesome episode, I want to remind you that this episode is sponsored by my accredited program, Ayurveda Alchemist, which will certify you as an Ayurveda lifestyle and wellness coach. Ayurveda Alchemist is for women who are ready to get started with a fulfilling career in Ayurveda or for already established health, wellness, and life coaches who want to create greater impact by offering a holistic framework that gets their clients exceptional and holistic results. This certification is what you need to step into the high-level practitioner that you were born to be and stand out from the coaching crowd. You will experience undeniable growth as a premium health and wellness coach. You will be mentored by highly qualified facilitators, guest experts, and practitioners. Spots are strictly limited. So if you are ready to up-level your life and help transform others' lives by becoming an Ayurveda alchemist, then head over to harmonyinspiredhealth.com.au and apply today. Now, let's get into today's episode. Right, hello everybody who is joining us live in the Facebook group and also all of our podcast listeners. Today we have a very special episode and we're going to be talking about Ayurvedic's perspective on intermittent fasting because we all know that intermittent fasting has been out there in the media of late so it's going to be a very interesting one and to chat with us today we have the amazing Sarah Malini coming on. She is an Ayurveda practitioner and yoga educator She has been a lifetime student and an accomplished teacher of both yoga and Ayurveda. Her studies and experiences in the realms of yoga, mantra, and Ayurveda has allowed her to be a dynamic teacher and facilitator of the modern age. She is passionate about providing you with the foundational teachings so that you can walk away feeling like you know how to make decisions how to apply yoga and Ayurveda to your specific life in a way that is truly supportive, nourishing, and effective. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So happy to have you all the way from California, right? I know. I have dreams of Australia. I've only been there twice, so one day I can come back. So this is close. Yeah, close, close <laughs> as you can get for now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> love to have you here one day. <laughs> Be beautiful. I so I always it. start my podcast with my rapid inspiration questions. So first of all, can you inspire us with what your superpower is? 
Yeah. So I think my superpower is that I really enjoy putting myself in complicated or like very new situations and just, just to like see how I adapt. Uh, I think that's why I like to travel internationally just to see how it goes. And it always seems to work out. Um, creates this um, enthusiasm to just like trust that it's going to work out because you're there. So I feel like that's my superpower is that I, I like to be in the, in the dirt. Interesting. <laughs> A bit of an adventure seeker. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so the pandemic was challenging that oh, way. I bet. I bet. Do you have quite high vital constitution? I, I just really like that. I like to like see how I'll do you know, yeah. in different environments and, um, and like, see how I can acclimate. Mm, yeah. So it's coming from it's a little more pitta. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your favorite quote or mantra at the moment? So right now, I think, um, there's a quote by Amelia Earhart that says the most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is mere tenacity. Um, and this is also why I really like yoga and Ayurveda because it's all really about decision making and discernment. And mm -hmm. I find like the hardest place to live is like between choices. And um, once you're committed to a choice, like really all that you have to do is just continue to take steps forward. So that's what resonates with me right now. Mm, yeah, I love that. Yeah, you just yeah need to continue to show up. And that's what I'm always teaching my Ayurveda alchemist students is that, you know, Ayurveda really is just the art of self-awareness so that we can mm -hmm. apply, you know, apply the wisdom to our own life. So yeah, totally resonate mm -hmm. with that one. And who or what <laughs> is inspiring you at the moment? So I'm actually seven months pregnant. Maybe that's why I, I have, these are my superpowers. And that's my quote, as I'm like nearing that stage of the precipice of birth which I've never done so really any person who is like successfully holding their child or has gone through uh labor is um inspiring to me oh, fair enough fair call <laughs> becoming a mother is, is a huge is a huge um transformation and a beautiful one so congratulations yeah. on your pregnancy Thanks. it is it is amazing I've got twin boys but they've just turned 10 so yeah. it makes me feel really old oh wow yeah, <laughs> I'm actually really late <laughs> so I would love for you to share with us your story that led you to becoming an educator for classical Ayurveda and yoga. Sure. So it started with yoga. I was doing yoga since I, or I had been doing yoga since I was about 14. I just kind of fell into it, um, you know, by happenstance or by karma or whatever. But, um, and I was, you know, doing it like casually and then it got more serious, but it was always just something on the side. And eventually I moved um, to New York and ended up doing a training. And the more classes I taught and the more places I practiced, I started to become kind of confounded by like what we were even doing in this, these asana classes. Because even at the time, they weren't really called asana classes. They were just called yoga. And I just didn't understand where all this information was coming from. There wasn't a lot of gesturing back to like original text. It just felt like people were saying things and you would remember them. And then, um, and so I started kind of a, going on a quest to figure out like, where is this information coming from? You know, they would, people would refer back to the Yoga Sutras or the Bhagavad Gita, but that was kind of the extent of the texts. And there's just so many more. And so 
I started traveling to India to kind of excavate like what we were actually doing in the yogic paradigm. And that yogic paradigm ended up bumping me into Ayurveda because like you were saying, like it's a science of self-awareness. And so one often will lead you to the other. And um, I also come from an allopathic medical family, like almost everyone in my family, they're in some ways physicians or I have a, my brother's an engineer. He's like, which is sort of similar mind, um, like mind function. Yeah. And um, I really like, I'm also very logical, but it, I just sort of ended up going through this like alternative route. I always have been interested in like observing patterns and Ayurveda is very pattern oriented. And so, and it just made so much sense. And, um, and then again, I had the exact same problem with Ayurveda that it had with yoga that every time I would try and study, it was like very generic and, and unlike yoga in practice, it wasn't working, you know, like these like very generic ways of engaging with Ayurveda were not actually leading to results that were, I would call success or health or change. And so I started looking again, I went back to India and then I just started looking for teachers who would tell me like, where is this information coming from? How can I like, you know, reference it? And I eventually found um, that teacher. And so it's from that place I felt that I have been working like as a practitioner and as a teacher, because it took me a really long time to get information that I don't think should have taken or like needs to take that long. You know, it was my journey, but I think, um, you know, other people could get there quicker. So it's kind of been my mission to be like, this is the real deal and it's totally applicable and not outdated. Mm. Um, and we can learn like this. Mm, absolutely. And I think it brings um, back to that point as well that you said when, you first learn Ayurveda, like it's full of um, what people perceive as rules. And so sometimes people can be very linear with their Ayurvedic path, but it it's not rules, they're guidelines and they're patterns like you explained. And there's that deeper self-inquiry within those guidelines. So it is really important to understand that yeah, you may not get a certain result if you're going to go down this really rigid path. And that's what Ayurveda is not, but that's what some people mm -hmm. have, are led to believe it is or are taught, which is really interesting. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I guess the other um, thing that I wanted to bring up is like Ayurveda is always referred to as like an ancient science. And it, we know that it's been around for like over 5,000 years, especially those older Vedic texts. <laughs> so when we use this term, do you think it loses its potency in today's modern world? Because as we both agree on, it is, it, even though it is such like an ancient art and an ancient science, it is so relevant today. And the teachings can be, can be used in every modern day life. Mm -hmm. I told well, I when I hear you talking about this, I was like, oh my God, I haven't actually heard this concept like reflected back. Um, so it was really exciting to hear you speak to it um, previously. And so, yeah, I think that it, it does lose the potency because A, you know, it makes it sound outdated. Um, and so therefore like needs modernization or interpretation or something like that. Um, it also, I think, makes it sound kind of like magical and therefore like not serious and theoretical or like sometimes I'll use the word I have a poet friend who doesn't like this word but you know like poetic mm -hmm. um and like theoretical or um and like kind of fluffy and I think you know 
I, it takes the potency out because Ayurveda is like an active, alive medicine practice and it's built to last through time. So even though it was, you know, physically recorded 5,000 years ago, the practice itself is reliable in its effectiveness. Like if you do what the texts say now, you'll see the same results now. And if you do what the text suggests not to do, you'll see the predicted um, results. So, you know, that's what I think is challenging in a modern time is that like something, it is possible to have something be both timeless and relevant mm -hmm. simultaneously, but it is really hard for, you know, the binary mind to be, to have those, that dichotomy happen simultaneously. Mm, absolutely. And I, I guess a caveat to that, I do use the term ancient wisdom when I'm describing Ayurveda, but I um, usually say like a timeless ancient wisdom that is applicable yeah. in this world. And I know um, from like just going back to it not being a set rules, my my teachers, my Ayurvedic teachers told me that the, la the last couple of pages in the, the Vedas, they were left blank and they were left blank because it is a timeless science, but they also knew there was going to be new emerging science as the world evolved and grew. It wasn't just to be a science for that time because it's not, it, you know, it is, it is very relevant. It is our world. It is who we are. But those, those blank pages represented the evolving science, the new practitioners that were going to be able to come forward and teach in what they knew were going to be modern times. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. It is. So I'd love to delve um, deep with you today about intermittent fasting, because I know this is um, a, an area of your expertise. And I would like to look at it through that Ayurvedic lens. So we are seeing so many people intermittent fasting to lose weight and for several other health reasons. Can you explain why just the blanket rule of intermittent fasting may be causing more harm than good? Sure. This actually kind of, yeah, reflects back to what you had said before is that like, you know, whether or not you're following an Ayurvedic regimen or not, you know, living by a set of rules that are really inflexible are always is always going to lead to problems. Um, so that's just kind of one, you know, grand way to look at it. But more specifically, Ayurveda and yoga also, they see that the body and the world and the universe essentially like functions on a rhythm, you know, it's like patterned and rhythmic. And so, and this includes eating, this includes the sunrise and the sunset, this is menstruation, you know, like when your menstrual cycle is late, like it, it's the patterns disruption that you're aware of. Um, and so in general, disruptions to that rhythm disturbs other functions of the body. And so intermittent fasting practice in a blanket kind of way, ignoring or just like kind of disassociating from those rhythms can disrupt other things that rely on those rhythms because they're all tied together, like sleeping and bowel movements and general energy maintenance. Um, so that's one kind of one way to look at it. It's like essentially a pranic, from a pranic standpoint or um, a, like a circadian rhythm standpoint, it disrupts that. And then another way to um, look at it from the Ayurvedic lens is that, you know, things that work in the short term, if we use them long term, then can have long term damaging effects that you're not going to see till later. And you might not know that actually the origin was something as simple as intermittent fasting. But one of the things that's so, you know, sp special about Ayurveda is like the obsession with the practitioner 
or of the practitioner to like find the hey too, which is like the cause, like what is the originating cause of this complaint? You know, often the complaints we're seeing are, are symptoms of a cause that happened previously and disrupting these rhythms, including intermittent fasting is a really easy one to um, kind of flip the body's function cause and acting as like a cause for something that may not manifest until later. And then, you know, more specifically, intermittent fasting always aggravates vata dosha, which is why it works for loose, losing weight, because intermittent fasting is all the qualities of vata dosha, like dry and rough and quick and light and subtle. Uh, and, and that's why also people feel great at a certain point when they're fasting, because they finally feel clear, but that lucidity can also become um, overly so, and it becomes spacey and unfocused and tired and weak. Um, and so there's that, and that also can lead to then complaints that are of Vata origin, even if the person's constitution isn't quote unquote Vata in presentation, you know, it starts to absorb those qualities. And then more specifically, and this relates to what we were talking about, um, at the beginning is that, you know, I think it creates like a misunderstanding of what hunger actually is and can lead to like all kinds of disordered eating, like overeating or, you know, not eating. But I have a lot of clients who practice intermittent fasting before they came to me and then they'll, they will talk and they're suffering from all these disorders that are actually not Vata related. And it's because in those couple hours that they're allowed to eat, they overeat. Essentially it's like binge eating. And then they start having all kinds of other digestive disorders related to like Pitta and Kapha, or they eat too late um, because they're just going for a window of time, not a specific window of time. Um, and so it kind of, it kind of just, and that connects back to the circadian rhythm dysfunction also, because, you know, you're just doing something based on a clock and very disassociated from how things feel. Mm. Absolutely. And I think um, some of the women I see who have um, a lot of hormonal conditions and they're already, you know, highly stressed, they have a lot of cortisol floating around in their body and they're experiencing the symptoms from high cortisol, adrenal fatigue, all of those things. And then put fasting on top of that is another stress to the body. And so mm -hmm. it makes the, you know, the hormonal balance out even more so. So being able to educate the women around that is is really important I guess the other aspect to it is that it can lead to as I mentioned disordered behaviors of eating which does disrupt the circadian rhythm which then does disrupt the hormones even further so it's it's for sure to be um, recognized that it can um, exacerbate disordered eating patterns and I guess the other thing from like an Ayurvedic perspective that I'd love for you to speak on is like traditionally from an, uh, one of the, the reasons that you were, were doing fasts in, in yoga and Ayurveda was more for the, on that spiritual level. It wasn't to like look amazing and get those, you know, six packs mm -hmm. in the summer. So yeah, I'd love for you to speak more on, on this aspect of fasting. Sure. I mean, so many traditions use fasting um, as like a, a way to connect with a higher plane of spirituality because it increases vata. And so you're increasing the elements that vata is made of, which is air and particularly space. And so the more spacious you become, the more you feel like space around you. And so you're, you know, a lot less clogged by the heavier 
elements of the of the earth you're becoming less earthly and so um it's really transformational but it's also usually not forever mm-hmm. um and one of the things my ayurveda teacher used to say too he's like not even everybody should really be doing pranayama because pranayama is moving prana around and not everyone's channels are clear and so people who are practicing fasting which in sanskrit is called upavas like people who are practicing this as a spiritual technique are also not then indulging when they're not fasting. So their life is pretty sattvic or ascetic anyway. And so, you know, their channels are clear and they're less likely to create a problem when they're done. Because those of us who like jump from diet to diet end up creating this like really um, rajasic, relationship with what we're doing and the goal is like you were saying a little bit more self physically oriented as opposed to a means of self-realization and from the yogic paradigm like death is not to be feared and so like when you're playing with death like that which you are when you're not eating like those people who are doing it aren't fearful of where they might end up Mm. yeah I love that explanation. And so can we just break it down a little bit a little bit to um, talk about the different types of intermittent fasting that we're seeing more so in the modern world and how that um, differentiates from the Ayurvedic approach to nutrition and eating? Sure. Yeah, so I think from what I've perceived from my own clients is that I, uh, intermittent fasting is more like I don't eat between for like X amount of time. And then it's whatever hours are kind of convenient to that. And then people will do like a cheat and they'll have like a coffee like before or something like that. Um, But from an Ayurvedic perspective, like actually intermittent fasting is already built into the Ayurvedic diet paradigm. So like, that's why we don't need to shift it. But because Ayurveda understands that timing is really important to things and that like not all time is the same, you know, 10 a.m. is very different than 10 p.m. And we kind of all know that, but sometimes we don't know that, you know, and like 3 p.m. is not the same as 6 a.m. Like the energy of a person and the energy of the day and what happens outside in nature and even in the workplace is usually pretty different at those two times. And so from an Ayurvedic perspective, fasting is always done at night because dinner isn't really supposed to be eaten after like 7.30 because you're supposed to go to bed basically on a nearly empty stomach, you know, where you're kind of in the third stage of digestion. So you've had like two to three hours between when you've last eaten and when you're going to bed. And then you sleep through the night because your circadian rhythms are working and you wake up in the morning and you, you know, between like five and seven, and then you brush your teeth and you take a shower and you might even exercise before that. And then by the time you're eating, you know, somewhere between six and eight, depending on your schedule, you actually haven't been eating for like 12 hours, which is intermittent fasting. So, um, but it allows you to, you know, be not eating when the body's channels are closed and quiet. Like the text described the channels at night, like the lotus flower closes at night. And so that's why eating at night, if you do so, you wake up feeling horrible in the morning because it's just, you're clogged. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, to do that fasting, that intermittent fasting during the time when the body is built to be fasting is, is wise from the Ayurvedic perspective. 
also another time uh, I was thinking about this, I was like, when else does Ayurveda have intermittent fasting? I mean, there's like many intermittent fasts because if you're functioning from an Ayurvedic perspective, you're not really snacking between meals. And so there is, there are these little fasts between each meal. Um, and so, because if your meals are satisfying, you won't need to snack and your body has time to digest and you get to feel that empty, but not overly empty feeling. Um, and then another time that, you know, fasting is used in Ayurveda is like if you have like a fever disorder or certain types of indigestion, then you start to reduce the diet and you might even go to fasting or like coming out of Panchakarma, you're eating a very reduced diet, but you're rebuilding. Um, so it's not like Ayurveda is against fasting. It's just that like, it's very timing centric. A hundred percent. And according to Ayurveda, what are the best times to be eating our meals and why? Uh, I think it depends on the season. So like, you know, in winter season, when the digestion is stronger, people generally are hungry for like two to three meals a day. In the summer season, when digestion is weaker, it's usually like two-ish meals a day. Um, but I would say that this, the ideal times are measured A, by hunger and by like the lack of experience of a post-effect of eating, meaning like not feeling tired or bloated or gassy or constipated and all these things or like have to go to the bathroom um but I would say that like you know wake like in the morning breakfast should be done before 10 more like should be done by before 9 and lunch should be between like uh 11 a.m and 1 30 p.m you know as per hunger and dinner should be you know between 5 and 7 30 p.m as per hunger and per bedtime um, just you mentioned bloating and like that's a very very common complaint especially in our modern times mm -hmm. what are some of your favorite ayurvedic tips to reduce bloating eating on time yes. is a good one <laughs> um and not snacking and not fasting um and drinking and like drinking warm beverages instead of cold definitely cutting ice out of your diet um as like a general practice I don't know if they do that in Australia but in the U.S. like if you ask for a drink like it's like three quarters ice and then one quarter drink <laughs> and I think that's because the ice is cheaper and you get less drink yes it's true it's so totally like true. no ice and they look at me like oh, I want to charge you extra now <laughs> I know you're like you don't have to fill it all the way it's fine yeah <laughs> yeah I think um it's like basically again um it's the opposite of vata dosha. So it's like, you need warm things that are soft and smooth and simple, mm -hmm. like, and cooked. These are the best things to avoid bloating and also not overeating, which from an Ayurvedic perspective includes snacking because like eating on top of eating causes digestive disturbance. Mm, absolutely and the reason we don't want all of that cold ice is because it dwindles our agni, our digestive mm -hmm. fire that keeps our metabolism and digestion going for us so, yeah. exactly i always give when i'm teaching like the um the analogy like someone's building a campfire and then someone else just like keeps pouring ice water on top as they're trying to light it like it's really frustrating and that's basically what we're doing to our ugly when we're when we're giving it like freezing cold things on top of asking it to digest yeah i love that <laughs> i love that 
So with working um, with you, women, as you do, what are some of the most common struggles that they have when it comes to having a healthy relationship with food and their health? Yeah, um, I think, you know, and I fall prey to this too. So it's not like, you know, I'm part of this fray as well. Um, but I think like fad diets are just really problematic. Um, one of the, when I'm like doing an intake with someone and they say like they were, they were like a vegetarian for these years and then they were vegan and then they ate paleo and then did that. So I make a note in my chart because um, it disturbs the blood tissue, like jumping around like that. And so, but I think there's so much information and every fad is promising the best outcome. Um, and so, and we all want the best outcome and everyone wants to be healthy. And so, you know, I think we're willing to try anything at a certain point. Um, I also see disordered eating coming from this on, you know, multiple perspectives. Like I think it's called orthorexia, like the obsession with like eating clean um, mm. or, and it, of course it can lead to like not eating at all um, or obsession with like certain types of food, which leads you to not be eating. I also think, um, and I think this is a modern experience, not just necessarily with women, but I think in this modern age, we're really kind of committed to quick fixes. So like, well, at whatever, we'll fix it right now. And then no real observation of behavioral changes that would need to um, be put in place to, to keep that actually staying as you are intending it through that quick fix. I think that's something that happens. And then like we were talking about at the very beginning, there's like, it's just a loss of discernment because people don't know what hunger feels like anymore. And so like I have, I have clients who don't know hunger until they're starving, but hunger actually occurs before starving. It's not like a gnawing feeling where you're just kind of, kind of making bad choices because you're desperate. Um, and so it also prevents people from learning to understand like the communication that their body is having. And instead maybe labeling it, labeling it as a problem that's just to be ignored. Um, and I also think it kind of encourages consumerism because we're always looking for something outside ourselves to fix the thing that we could really just fix with our behavior. It's so I mean, easier said than done. Oh, 100% easier said than done. Um, <laughs> and I guess I work like I work with a lot of women who have a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress going on, and obviously with like hormonal imbalances and all of those things. And I say the hardest thing to change is actually to reduce your stress because you actually have to make lifestyle changes to whatever's causing that. And you actually have to do something. There's no pill you can just swallow to take away all of the external um, implications that are helping create this stressful feeling with inside yourself as well. I mean, we can definitely work on the internal, the inside, yes. But if you're still being triggered by different external stresses, that needs work and it takes time. And as you mentioned, quick fixes, like, you know, after a, a day or two when they are like still feeling bloated or still feeling this way, it's not enough time to really evaluate and create that self-awareness with what's going on in your life, what your triggers are, testing and trying different things as well for your own, um, you know, individual constitution and like diving deeper into what is sort of the, the root cause of these symptoms. 
And the other thing, like with bloating, it's such a broad, like broad, wide symptom. And yes, it can be a lot of digestive issues, but it can also be caused by a lot of gynecological issues, such as endometriosis, mm -hmm. that they're not aware that they have um, different hormones that cycle and fluctuate throughout the month around ovulation, around menses. And also different food triggers, SIBO, um, large bowel overgrowth, all of the different things. And so sometimes you can have un different underlining causes as well as what you may perceive or have your diagnosis as. And it's not, you know, just one or the other. It's really about understanding your body and where that, that bloating is coming from and what time of the month you're in and really understanding, hey, have I you know, align myself with a circadian rhythm? Am I eating regular meals? Am I going to bed at a decent time? Am I waking up at a decent time? It's like really understanding how holistic we have to be in understanding ourselves and aligning ourselves with like Ayurveda because it's not just, mm -hmm. yeah, a quick fix. And I think we're just so, so used to that and so wanting that because we're all busy and rushed. We just want that quick thing that's going to help and if it doesn't on to the next on to the next person that can give me that and that person can't then on yeah to the person. yeah I mean and it happens with Ayurveda too which is why like you know the like the need to like claim ourselves as a dosha can be so disrupted because you might be expressing those that particular dosha at that time but if it changes and you're still living as the previous one then you're actually using Ayurveda to make you less well um, so one of the things I love about Ayurveda and yoga is like this too, is that there is like, there is nothing, um, there is nothing that is like inherently healthy or unhealthy, you know, like health is the expression of a good digestive fire. And we all need different things at different times to maintain that. Mm -hmm. So not, um, align, you know, like even when I, I mean, I'm a veg, I've been a vegetarian for a really long time. And in this pregnancy, I had to like really analyze, like, is it worthwhile to maintain that? My Ayurvedic practitioner suggested I eat meat for this period of time. And, and I, and I did, or I, I mean, it's not over, but I am, you know, and because like, I don't want to be making decisions off of, of a concept that I have in my head about what is good, what is worthy because that can lead to complications. And so Ayurveda sees everything as medicine if used in the right dose or in the right way. And um, I think that's, it really helps us decrease this concept of attachment to a style. So I very rarely like would ever say that I am vegetarian, even though that's what I am because I'm not trying to identify as anything, mm -hmm. even though these are my choices that I'm making, they can totally categorize as that for most of my life. Mm, it's such an important point that you bring up and I guess it cycles straight back to what we were saying at the start it like Ayurveda isn't a set of rules that people perceive it to be it's exactly what you said it is and we need to be able to change with the seasons change with the day change with how we're changing and I totally agree with you when people just identify with that one dosha or they really want to be that one dosha because in their yeah. minds they perceive it to be better. Um, and it, that's really frustrating. And I always teach my Ayurveda Alchemist students that the elements, because when we can see the elements within ourselves, we don't tend to personalize it and attach as much to the elements. But as soon as we're given a dosha, we're like, oh, I'm so vata or oh, I'm so pitta. Yes, yeah, it becomes like a horoscope. 
Yeah, exactly. And like we can be predominantly vata or pitta and then dealing with a lot of kapha stuff, a lot of kapha emotions, a lot of kapha in the mind and the body. And I guess that's where people get a little bit confused when they're using their Ayurvedic nutrition to balance their doshas. So if they're very much vata in the mind, but say they have a, a, a pitta constitution um, with their agni, their digestion, I get that question a lot. So I'd love to hear your take on that. Sure. I think, you know, um, you really want to, I always recommend to my clients that they deal with their digestive presentation. So if Pitta is presenting in the digestion, then eating according to that will not only decrease the Pitta that's presenting in the digestion, but will decrease the vata that's presenting in the mind because it creates organization and focus and and kind of attention because it it's like the rajas of the mind is overtaking the mind and presenting in this kind of scattered irregular way and so starting to attune with what's actually happening in the physical body will also pull the mind down so i always suggest that people will attune with what's happening in the gut and also in the environment physical environment because um, that also can affect both the mind and the digestion. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And uh, yes, I speak very similar. I address the digestive disorder or function. And then with the mind, if there's a lot of vata going on in the mind or a kapha going on in the mind, you can actually use lifestyle changes and tips that are more conducive to that dosha to help with the mental capacity and then work on the body with um, some of those physical aspects like the food, even though it's all interrelated, like your, mm -hmm. your food that you consume and eat and process, that is going to make impressions on your mind and, you know, vice versa. We know all of that. But like you said, sometimes breaking it down um, to treat the, the body with like those more physical components like nutrition and the mental part with um, other lifestyle stuff and then it all does start to come into balance and the body you know you can come into your body and you can come out of the mind and all sort of settle it in nicely which is <laughs> what we mm -hmm, want mm -hmm. bringing the body back into you know that ultimate yeah. is what it's all about in the mind mm -hmm. amazing well thank you so much you've shared so much of your wisdom with us I've really enjoyed having you here um, what is the one takeaway that you would like to leave us with today I would like to leave um, those listening and watching um, that health is inherent. Like it is inherent to every person. Um, it's not actually complicated, but it can become complicated. And it can, the experience can be complicated when that health, that swasta is buried in old habits or in chronic health complaints, because not everyone is experiencing health at all times. Um, but it is inherent and it's findable and it's often findable with some very simple lifestyle adjustments that Ayurveda, you know, just lays out really clearly. Um, and there, I just have a lot of clients who have never even had to take herbs. They'll just do some adjustments and then their complaints are gone and they don't actually need me anymore. Um, and so, and sometimes it's more complicated than that, but inside everyone is the state of, of health and it's, it's there. Mm, 100%. And where can um, Ellison's find you? So you can find me on my website, which is yogavahi.com. And that also links 
to another um, external site where I have yoga classes and lectures and stuff where people can um, interact more um, in more depth. And then my Instagram handle is Sarah Malini dot, what is it? Sarah Malini dot Ayurveda yoga. And the TikTok is Yogavahi Ayurveda. Beautiful. Thank you. I'll put the links in the show notes as well. Thank you so awesome. much Thank for coming you. on. Oh, thanks for having me. It was such a pleasure. You're so welcome. Namaste. Thank you. If you missed the intro and jumped straight to the episode, don't forget that my Ayurveda Alchemist program is open for enrollment via application. This program certifies you as an Ayurveda lifestyle and wellness coach and will help you up-level your health and wellness business. You'll gain access to the ancient wisdom of Ayurveda and graduate with a knowledge of how to incorporate this timeless wisdom and holistic framework into your business so that you can create greater impact and boldly step into the high-level practitioner you know you can be. If you are ready to up-level your life and help transform the life of others by becoming an Ayurveda alchemist, head over to harmonyinspiredhealth.com.au and apply today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and staying right to the end. Let's take our relationship a little further and connect in the world of socials. Follow me personally on Instagram at harmony.inspired.ayurveda. My women's health clinic on Instagram is harmony underscore inspired underscore health or join our Facebook community, the Ayurvedic Soul Sister Tribe. Reach out on any of those channels and let me know if you enjoyed the episode, what type of episodes you would like to hear more of in the future, or simply just swing by and say hi. And don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And if you listen on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating so the wisdom shared in these episodes can be spread far and near. Thank you so much, my friends, from my soul to yours.